0: Hello everyone, I am Jennifer Henry, Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Innate Invest and welcome to our fourth podcast in our eight-part series titled Connect the Dots, where we are showcasing Innate Invest's remarkable manager research team and our associated processes. In this podcast, we will be continuing with the Boutique Managers conversation with Warren Riley of Betelier Asset Management. Warren has some 15 years investment experience and he will be sharing his insights into the differentiators of Boutique Asset Managers and touching on the investment opportunities in the mid-cap space. The discussion will be between Warren and Rembu Ramulubana, an experienced Manager Research Analyst within the Innate Manager Research Team. Over to you Rembu and Warren.
1: Thank you very much Jenny. Um, And thank you, Warren, for agreeing to do this with us, and we hope we can enlighten our clients um, as we go through some of the questions and discussions that um, may be a little bit less discussed within the asset management industry. And, And just to kick off, maybe if we could start by just having you describe briefly what a boutique asset manager is and how it differs from larger asset managers and maybe stretch it all the way to discuss within a local context and as well as a global context given you are locally based but size can matter but again outside
2: it could be quite different yeah sure i think simplistically focusing on assets under management a, a boutique as an asset manager in, in south african context with less than 50 billion roughly in assets under management but i think very importantly, it's not just size that's important here, and uh, and uh, and this can apply to both a, a global and a local context. When you look at a boutique, and I'll relate this back to Bateleur, typically a boutique is independent, owner-managed, and and very much focused with expertise in a specific area. When you look at Bateleur, um, the business was founded in 2005 by Kevin Williams. Today, Kevin remains the chief investment officer as well as the fund manager on the Bachelor Long Short Fund, as well as the Bachelor Flexible Fund. The business started with the first fund being our Long Short Hedge Fund in 2005. So that fund is approaching a 20-year track record, so a very long-term track record of applying our, our hedge fund background. And over time, you, you've seen the business evolve somewhat to be more focused on um, fully invested products. But what hasn't changed is that our core focus is equity-centric funds. So we only run four products here. We're very focused um, and what we believe is our expertise um, across equities. And we've always stuck to these hedge fund roots since inception of the business. And I think another point to add around a boutique is that it's a, generally a much more entrepreneurial culture. And, and that that kind of culture is applied across the business where everyone who's who's in the investment team is, is willing to take on Different facets of the business, and not just uh, you know be boxed into one particular role. And um, I think a, a final, a quite important point on, on boutiques is if you look at the history. And I actually pulled up a, a study here that was done by AMG in the US. And I, I think this is this is a US study, but um, there has been similar studies in in South Africa. And the average boutique managers outperformed larger managers by 62 basis points per year over the period of 20 years where they conducted the studies. Is a history of outperformance by by smaller managers relative to their larger peers. So I think that's a, a relatively good summary of how I see a boutique manager. And this applies both locally and globally. Thanks for
1: that, Warren. And... I mean, with, with all those positive points, do, do you think that you find that the perceptions and biases that might exist in the markets around boutiques? Um, if we look at the culture you have talked about being owner managed, being entrepreneurial, being focused and being exposed to different facets of the business, it sounds like a, a strong building block for for a person within that business. But do you think that there is perceptions and biases maybe from outside the market that you have experienced over your your many years uh, within the financial services
2: industry? Yeah, I think there's a couple, but there's one that stands out. And I think the hardest part about a boutique is developing the brand recognition and overcoming the, the perception that a boutique manager is riskier than a larger manager. I mean, you'll see over the years, generally speaking, boutiques get small allocations in multi-asset funds and from allocators. And a, I think there's a there's brand perception. There's also certain perceptions around the risk associated with investing in a manager which has small assets under management. Now, brand recognition is something that you can build through performance and a track record, or you can attempt to build through aggressive marketing. I think our view at is that marketing can come with a, a cost to performance as the managers, being a small team, takes their eyes off the core kind of focus, which is running money and, uh, and driving outperformance. So we've taken a, a much longer term approach. I mean, as I said, we the business started in, in 2005. We're approaching a 20-year track record through various market cycles. For instance, our flexible fund, which is started in 2010, has outperformed the All Share Index by 2% per annum at almost half the volatility now our our longest running fund our long short hedge fund has been running since 2005 and has delivered a almost 15 percent compound return period half the risk of the market so i think those two products being the building blocks of the business have have put us on relatively good grounding to grow often and and we're much more focused on building long-term relations and and compounding the existing assets of the business rather than relying on you know a marketing machine and, and accumulating assets which for us has never been the right way to build a boutique asset manager? So, so I think that really is the kind of key here around the, the perceptions and the biases in the market. And, and you have to overcome that really by delivering strong performance over time.
1: Thanks, Warren. And I, and I believe you've, you've touched on quite, quite key points there, um, including the differentiated strategies, the focus that can differentiate these boutique managers. But just if we stay on the risk and perception perspective, do you think the there should be some benchmark maybe created for boutiques or? Ah, uh, the guys that are marketing better should 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 be the ones to win. I guess the AUM and twenty years later, maybe your performance comes through. I mean, what do you think would be the best way to benchmark boutique managers and and maybe benchmark them against guys who have bigger budget to actually do the marketing, and maybe even longer track records for performance. And and you guys are fortunate to have had that already.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think for, for me, bachelor and and boutiques, I think we should be viewed as specialists uh, with the ability to to generate alpha. And I think that's very important for, for boutique to differentiate themselves. You have to be able to deliver performance ahead of peers and ahead of the market. And when I look at the current environment we're in, and it's been this way for the past few years, I think it's been important to be able to have flexibility and the nimbleness that comes with a, a boutique which is important in the volatile environment we're in and i, I think that's a key differentiator between a, a boutique and a large asset manager but it's not only the investment performance and the way we manage money but i think when you you step back and you go what is another differentiator between a boutique and a, a large asset manager is that you know We also have a very strong back office here strong compliance Uh, we we regulate it just like large asset managers so from that perspective although there may be perceived differences in risks and 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 the business model you know we very much are the same it's really just around the assets under management that differentiates us so i mean there shouldn't be a different benchmarks between a boutique and larger asset managers it does make quite a lot of sense And, and maybe if we could just Maybe try to get into that and
1: maybe just focus on the idea of being specialist or being, being able to bring some differentiation. Would it be fair to say you, you, you're on the camp that BOTIX should set up investment strategies slightly different uh, from larger managers in order to be able to outperform, I guess, as an example?
2: Yeah, know. this will go back to the original points I made around boutiques. And I think very much you need to be focused on your edge and where your special specialization lies. So if you look at, at Batelier started as a hedge fund manager in 2005, I think from those hedge fund roots, a very strong focus on capital preservation, avoiding downside risk. And you'll see that Through the funds we manage and the return profiles, generally less drawdowns in the market, low volatility of returns. I think that comes through the way we manage money. So it's around the type of um, companies we own. We generally like companies which have a a reasonable predictability around earnings, less cyclicality of earnings. And those type of businesses which have reasonably sound capital structures so we generally avoid companies with large levels of debt on the balance sheet and those type of of companies which are um, exposed to kind of very cyclical in prices for the products they sell and it's not just that in terms of our investment philosophy and process we've also over time taken that hedge fund background and honed that into our top-down and bottom-up fundamental analysis and through that we've developed a four-quadrant approach so it's it's a bachelor kind of, uh, what's the word for it? It's something that's been built up using our own IP over time. It's supplied across all our funds. And in that process, we find as we've stuck to that over the years, it's developed. And the outcome is that our returns across all our products have looked similar in terms of limiting the downside risk, capturing upside and limiting downside capture and, and so on and so forth. So I think that's quite critical.
1: Wow, that that's quite a lot, and and if you could summarize this this conversation in in a bit around boutiques, uh, Warren, what, what would you say? And I mean, there would be reputation here, but what would you say are the characteristics that make a boutique uh, competitive and and and, and uh, versus larger ones, larger asset managers? Um, and 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 I know this is quite a bit of a summary of what we've discussed, um, and I just wanted to do that just before we jump into one specific strategy that boutique managers have. have. I've seen boutique managers apply as well, but yeah, how, how would you summarize some of these characteristics that make boutiques uh, competitive and a success story?
2: Yeah, so the I mean these are I guess an area uh, when I think about this and and it's, I'll, I'll be more specific to bachelor given the the history and kind of the know how that I have here. So I'm not sure if it applies across the whole industry, but a couple of points here. I think. F- Generally, we find you know focused, very focused business. So we, we we only run those four equity-centric funds. The business is still led by Kevin. So a lot of history and know-how that is brought into the investment process. And we're fully focused on that. So limited distractions. The business is, is very independent still. 100% owned by founders as well as the investment team and staff. A tightly knit team. If you look at our investment team of, of eight investment professionals, we've had very limited staff turnover, very stable team. I think that delivers consistency in process and the, the consistency of the knowledge in the team is, is very important. If you look at our investment team, we are all generalists, so we we look at various sectors and we have very high expectations on performance. So if you think about the investment team, at I guess the word to describe it is a metrocracy So, you know, there's high standards. Everyone's expected to deliver high levels of performance and there isn't really no way to hide in the investment team. As we're not like a very large organization where you can go spend a couple of days looking at one or two companies and expect to, you know, that to be the level of that will pass. So it's, it's, a, it's a very high performing culture. And when you look at the actual business in terms of how we run money, we, we're still given our asset base very nimble and agile. So we can rapidly respond and incorporate new information into the portfolios. So if we get a news on a particular company we own and it's something different or against our expectations on the on the actual outlook for that company, we're able to sell that share or exit that position quite quickly rather than have a, a, a team meeting and uh, go through a voting process to to make a decision on something. So it's, it, we're able to take in the information, act on it. And I think that's quite important. And I think something that's probably not applicable globally, but very much so in South Africa, is that given the majority of boutique asset size is the larger opportunity set. So we are able to play in, for instance, an opportunity set of, 150 to 200 companies, whereas larger asset managers are probably limited to top 50, 60 companies given liquidity constraints. So we are, we do have that bigger tool set to apply, which which I think is quite a big positive in this environment. So I think that that's a reasonable summary of the characteristics.
1: Thanks a lot for, for that one. Maybe if you could just uh, seg into that a little bit, do you have have more, more over 150 uh, stock opportunities versus a larger manager? And then I guess this just brings us to smaller firms mid and small caps. What, What do you think are some of the challenges and advantages that come with focusing in this part of the market and including that as part of your approach?
2: Yeah, first of all, I guess the advantage, I think we obviously have a much wider opportunity set. So we're able to find and research ideas that potentially larger firms cannot meaningfully participate in. And you know, this this part of the market, the mid to small cap part of the market, it's it's generally under-researched. Um, these businesses, if we look at South Africa, it's had, there's very little south side coverage or research on these companies available. So if you want to do the work and dig in, you, there are great opportunities to be found. And I think you'll also, when you look at that opportunity set relative to larger peers, you can generate uncorrelated returns relative to your peers, purely by the fact that you have very differentiated positioning. The disadvantage and, and the primary disadvantage of playing in that space is the liquidity and that part of the market is more liquid so you have to manage your, your position sizing and i think if you look for an example at the the better flexible fund for instance we've got around and it's it's been higher depending on the market cycle but around 10 percent of the portfolio allocated to these mid-cap opportunities and i think it's very important as well when investing in this space, we're, we're very well aware of the liquidity. So we produce a weekly internal liquidity report to monitor exposures, our days to trade, our days to exit. It really is top of mind. So, so although the advantages are obviously the opportunity set and being able to invest in these businesses and and, and obviously generate uncorrelated returns, at the same time you have to manage the exposure and be aware and cognizant of the liquidity risks in these some of these companies. And Warren,
1: if if we had to extend on that comment. Uh, do you think larger managers would have to apply similar risk management tools if they were in, to invest in this kind of, of, of space as well? Of course, they're already constrained from a size perspective to an, to an extent generally, uh, but say they were in that universe uh, or that portion of the universe. Would you expect them to be doing something different from you guys in terms of risk management around that?
2: No, I, I, I would say our risk management practices are... Or up there, hopefully up there with some of the larger firms. And I think investing in these companies, when you actually look at the fundamentals of these companies and how they report the regulatory oversight, it's all the same. I mean, we conduct thorough research on these businesses. It'll be the same approach that we do with the larger companies um, in terms of financial reporting, annual reports, management meetings, site visits. It's all the same rigorous process and it runs through our same four quadrant approach so very similar and again it just comes down to managing your exposures and the understanding the the risk of of liquidity and again sizing that those positions in the funds accordingly so that you're not too overexposed you know that mid caps don't dominate the outcome of the portfolio and i think that's quite important it's always been a a, a focus of ours our Oh, that's that's a great point. Thanks, thanks for that
1: one. And and in case, in terms of maybe when you're doing the research and getting closer to 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 the firm, um, how important are creating relationships with this with these investee companies as a boutique? And do you try and sustain these relationships?
2: I think what's important when looking at some of these these businesses is. They often, like I said earlier, they have no sell-side research. So you start with a blank piece of paper often. You have your annual reports, your historical financials, and you have presentations and so on from the the investor days. Generally, these companies don't attend investment conferences or hold investor roadshows. So it's often if you find the opportunity to do the work, it's often we all need to reach out, contact management through investor relations and organize meetings, as well as site visits if need be. So there's a lot of more work from our side in order to reach out and, and contact these businesses often and, and stay in touch. And uh, I think saying that, a lot of these businesses, although when you say mid-cap, you think that these are opaque businesses that you know no one knows about, but uh, I'll give you two examples. For example, one business we own, which is Italtal. I mean, that's a 15 billion rand market cap business. It's got turnover of almost 10 billion rand and it produces almost 50% of the tiling needs in South Africa and their local factories. So it's a it's a major business. It's just relatively small and falls under the market cap cutoff of many of the, of the large institutions. Similarly speaking, Adcock Ingram, it's a 10 billion rand market cap business, also turnover of almost 10 billion rand, and it's the OTC leader in the South African market over-the-counter drugs. It's got brands such as Panada, Carenza, BioPlus, Epimax, very well-known household brands. So you know, these are generally big companies, and they've been listed for a long time as well. Iteltiles listed in the 1988, um, for instance. So it's the information's there, the history's there, generally speaking. And and these are are great businesses. They just have limited coverage and one has to do a lot more work often in order to get to the answers.
1: And Warren would, I mean, a lot more work. Does it sound more like you have to scrutinize them As opposed to if you are looking at a stock which is covered by a lot more analysts uh, for, for the fact that it's much larger and held by a few more people, including coverage from the sell side. And, and if this is the case, I mean, what type of things are you scrutinizing about these smaller firms? And I do appreciate that some of them have been listed for a while, and, and I can, but I can imagine some of them would, would be coming in as new, new new stocks that have potential or they, they might have been spun out um, and still have their own potential, but market cap would be small, so maybe less coverage. But what type of aspect would you scrutinize for such for such smaller firms, if any at all?
2: Yeah, I think I think the differential in how we look at these businesses is, is limited uh, uh, compared to larger caps. I think when we look at a, a business at, at Batalier, I think it, again, comes down to our fundamental process. And it's understanding, firstly, the quantitative history of the business, going through the cash flow generation, the capital structure, the margins, the earnings power, and, and all those numbers. Uh, and then coming to a conclusion and going, is this a good business? And then answering the next question, going… From a fundamental perspective, it's good, but what makes it a good business? And that would be the qualitative aspects of the business, the competitive environment and all those things. So we we look at these businesses through the same lens. And then once we've decided on an investment case for the business, price target and so forth, it, it comes really down to, again, emphasizing the liquidity and the position sizing um, in order to not be too dominant in the portfolio and also to not be a certain percentage of the daily traded value of that, that that company in order to control the, the, the liquidity risk there. I
1: don't know how I would feel about the next question, but you are a boutique asset manager and potentially an, uh, an investable or investing option for a fund of fund, as an example. But maybe just to check it back, do, do you guys feel you get a lot of scrutiny due to your boutique nature, just in your experience from mm. asset allocators, say, for example?
2: I think, uh, I mean, what... I have seen over the years is there's probably two question that, questions that come up m- the mo- most often and it's really about first of all the sustainability of the business given the size of the asset base As in, and then the second question is the key man risk and i, I think that's important given that boutiques are, are generally found the lead and cios so quite an important role in the business So i think there's definitely that focus and the counter to that is i think if you look at our business at Battler we have a, a strong, stable team with many years of experience. Um, we've got eight individuals with extensive institutional knowledge of our processes, of the companies we invest in. And we've got a very big focus on developing up-and-coming talent. We have a bachelor bursary program and an academy. And you'll see that the majority of our funds have co-portfolio manager roles for continuation and to ensure that there's this sharing of information between the fund managers, analysts, and, and obviously up and coming portfolio managers. So there are ways to manage these. And obviously others, I think you'll just always get those type of questions, given the fact that generally speaking, you have a, a smaller asset base, um, you're a smaller business. And I guess those are inherent risks, but it's all about managing them and understanding you know, how to deal with these things. But but it'll be really those two that we get most of the time. And I think generally speaking, we, we have quite a strong pushback against them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, I'm on the other side. I like guess it's, it's it's part of understanding the fundamentals of the business yeah,
2: sustainability. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, but. No, oh good, oh good. Maybe, maybe if we could just drag it out and and look at the the broader um environment, just on the regulatory side. Just to, if you could share with us what what are some of the things that you are being impacted by in terms of of current regulation, and and if that also impacts the way you invest, given you do uh, invest in some of the smaller sized businesses as well.
2: Yeah, I think importantly here. And for the, the listeners, I guess there's often association with boutique managers and smaller companies. I, I think our focus is not on smaller companies. I think our focus is on creating long-term outperformance at uh, lower than market risk and avoiding downside protection and so on. Smaller companies come into them that we've got this big opportunity sets by virtue of the size and um, the fact that we can still participate here. So I think that's quite important. But because of what's happening in the South African economy, and it's been this way since 2015, 2016, it's been a a tough economy. There's very little growth. It's very hard for companies to grow. So what we found in our stock selection is we've had to pick companies very carefully. We've had to find those companies that are operating niches of the economy where there's still growth or they expected to grow. and I think on, on the other side, we're also increasingly spending more and more time on international markets where there's obviously these large opportunity sets. And, and, and this is only being made, I guess, worse by the fact that these regula- regulation changes in terms of Regulation 28. And I say worse, and I'm referring more to the liquidity in the SA market because Reg 28 has been the change of um, from 30 to 45% offshore allowance. We had more South African managers divesting from local markets and investing offshore. And lower liquidity is poor for smaller companies. So again, one has to manage that aspect of the the portfolio, the liquidity, and understand that until that changes, it's going to be a a relatively tough backdrop. And if you look at history in our flexible fund, we're currently at around 10% allocation to kind of these mid-cap companies that's been as high as 15 to 18% range historically at some points in time. And what we find exactly that. So we've reducing our mid cap exposure um, locally and you'll see a larger element of our portfolio moving to offshore opportunities where there's obviously liquidity or well, there's no issue with liquidity and there's uh, a lot of uh, opportunities out there to pick pick stocks. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the, the most important aspects there.
1: No, no, thanks,
2: Warren. And and just on that point,
1: you mentioned your 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 global opportunity set, and 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 maybe if you could just share with us how have you been navigating this this environment, given the many challenges and and, and changing environments from geopolitics geopolitics to monetary policy being being quite quite aggressive and restrictive, and many other aspects that that are obviously happened COVID nineteen another issue there how have you guys navigated given this global product and obviously that doesn't make the the opportunity set less easy out there
2: yeah i think it's it has been a a relatively tough macro environment uh, the last two years i think when we we came into 2023 we were we were quite or very much focused on the direction of inflation and, and interest rates and of course global growth i think it's been a tough environment given the volatility. You had a, a war, unexpected war in the Ukraine and Russia, which drove up commodity prices. And I think that pushed inflation up higher into 2023 than was expected. The work we had been doing was was telling us that inflation would start to trend down and that um, interest rates would have to follow thereafter. And I think we've maintained a reasonably high equity allocation during 2023 last year. If we look at the split, though, so our, our allocation in the funds to South African Incorporated, or SA Inc., has been relatively low, while well, we've had a high allocation to Rand hedge and offshore stocks. And our stock picking has been generally good, so we've avoided many of these poorly performing sectors in South Africa, oil and gas, PGMs, talcos. So it's, it's not just picking the right stocks, it's also avoiding areas where you can lose capital, and we've done relatively well there. And I think we've also had, sound stock picking offshore. So we've had a good contributions from Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet. They helped last year. Remembering that in 2022, they all were down 40 to 50%. It was a very weak year for for tech uh, stocks in in the US. So, So that helped last year. And when we look at the market today into 2024, I think we see... Inflation continuing to fall. I, I think one has to be very aware of the geopolitical risks uh, building in the in the Middle East and what that the, the repercussions could be for the oil price. So that's something we are keeping a, a very sharp eye on. And given this view that inflation will continue to fall, we think rates are going to start coming down. And that's been guided by the US. And I think that's gonna probably start by March or, or April, May, you're gonna start seeing rate cuts there. And so Africa will follow. So I think relatively supportive. But against this backdrop, the the valuations of the market are, are relatively high. So we we position with the capital preservation mindset at present. I think our total equity allocation of funds around 70%. It's been about 80% on average over time. So we, we've got slightly lower equity allocation. But uh, we, we still find a good stock picking opportunity. And I think importantly in the when you're looking at SA coming into the elections we think that could be it could be various outcomes, which could either be good or bad for equity markets. So, and and, and given the, our asset base and ability to be still be quite flexible and nimble, we'll take oppo- we'll take advantage of those opportunities if there's volatility around the the SA election. So, I think it's still going to be volatile. Um, we've had a relatively good year in 2023, so we've taken some risk off. But um, again, quite open-minded to what may play out this year, not sticking to one, one, you know, view of the outcome. Thanks for
1: sharing a little bit on, on your process at a global, from a global perspective and I assume, uh, well, without going into a DD, I know part of that comes out in our due diligence. So thanks for touching on that, a little bit. but maybe as we come to a close or closer to a close, maybe if you could just tell us what you think about the future landscape for boutique asset managers within South Africa? And as well, maybe you've already touched on the size, the, the mid-caps uh, space and how one is to to position there, but also highlighted how important it could be if the opportunity does present itself to be nimble and flexible. But what, what do you see in general for this landscape uh, for, for, for boutique asset managers with regulations and other things in the background as well?
2: Yeah, I think in SA, if the Current economic environment persists, which is you know characterized by generally low growth and limited net inflows into the investment industry. It's going to be tough for boutiques. Um, I would expect to see you know boutiques need a certain scale to survive. And without inflows, it's going to there's going to be further consolidation. You've already seen that over the past two years, um, various mergers and acquisitions in the, in the boutique space. I think that will most likely continue. And um, you're going to see a reduction in number of independent boutiques, be that good or bad for the industry. I think that is most likely an outcome that will continue. And in addition, with uh, without a significant change in the outlook for growth, you're most likely going to continue seeing asset managers pivoting some of their focus towards offshore opportunities, given the fact that the SA opportunity set is shrinking, is limited growth. So naturally we'll be looking for growth opportunities elsewhere. And that's that's going to come from offshore. And I think that will continue to play out. You know, but and we we apply a small probability to this outcome. But if there is a positive outcome from elections, and in our view a positive outcome would be a ANC vote falling to the low forties, and a, a coalition government put in place, perhaps with the, the DA um, and ANC, and the DA um, taking control of KwaZulu-Natal, um, Kharting potentially. I mean, that could flip the narrative on SA and we will be prepared then to look for further opportunities locally. And we know the the space well. So I think a boutique is very well equipped to take advantage of that. Right? We can move quickly and we won't be afraid to to take opportunities if we, we see the narrative changing and the opportunity set looking more interesting in SA.
1: Thanks, Warren. And, and maybe just one final question from me, if, if you could share with us any advice you'd give both investors uh, and aspiring Boutique asset managers. Oh, yeah. And and any final thoughts from from your side, if we could, we could touch on yeah. that. Um.
2: Look, Battelier was, like I said earlier, it was founded in 2004. So we're approaching almost 20 years now of, of, of running money. It's really been a game of patience and you need to have a lot of passion and ultimately, for us, it's performance that will drive success in this business. And we've we've had that mindset from day one. We're fully focused on that, and you have to have a niche. Our niche is equity selection, fundamental bottom bottom up analysis. That's where we play. We don't intend to change that at any time, and we don't have a asset accumulator mindset. We believe that you deliver performance. You stick to your philosophies, and that will drive business growth over time. And uh, I I think that's quite important. You have to be in it for the right reasons and you have to retain that focus, which over many, many years can be quite hard, but it ultimately pays off. So yeah, I think that's it. And and, and thanks so much for the the time.
1: No, thank you, Warren. And thanks for sharing some of those powerful nuggets. I think if one sits and thinks about them, there are good characteristics for success generally. So thanks a lot for sharing with us and and for being on our podcast today.
0: Thank you so much, Rebu and Warren, for the interesting discussion and insights. And for me, some of the key highlights that came out regarding boutique managers is that the developing the brand recognition. Right, this was brought up right in the beginning of the conversation, is, is important because boutiques may be incorrectly perceived as being riskier than larger asset managers. But there are several boutiques and uh, like Batalia that have really institutionalized their process b- despite being smaller in terms of the team size, and that's something that the audience needs to be aware of. The mid to small cap is an opportunity set that larger asset managers may not be fully able to participate in. And this is an opportunity for for boutiques. The mid and small cap is also a a very under-researched area and also presents then a good opportunity set, but just need to be well aware of those constraints. And, uh, you know, just uh, tying it all together, just at the end there, uh, Rembu was great, just uh, around the discussion on the future of boutiques. And um, there could be some consolidation in the industry for smaller asset managers, I think particularly given that savings is under pressure in, in South Africa. And it's difficult to say whether that's going to be good or bad for the industry, but boutiques in general are very well equipped to deal with the various risks and opportunities set, both locally and globally, given the very volatile landscape that we're in. And uh, we have seen that boutiques do demonstrate that that flexibility that very much needed during these volatile times. So again, thank you very much, uh, Warren, for giving us your time today. Towards the end of 2023, Innate Invest was awarded DFM of the Year by CityWire and we could not have achieved this without our great asset management partners like Battelier. So thank you so much to our audience today for listening in and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And we hope that you join us in our next podcast, which will be an internal one, where I will be discussing our inaugural diamond awards with Joe Fasco, our CIO.
2: IN8 is a registered trademark of Stanlib Wealth Management, PTY Limited an authorized financial services provider.